Good evening. We continuing the series, uh, the psychology of the mind and the soul, uh, soulmate relationships. Uh, this series is coming almost to an end. Uh, today it's uh, number eight, I believe. And uh, last lecture, if you remember, uh, we spoke about uh, the the words of the Yavetz, that the Yetzirah comes to a person in different faces. Every period of his life, he would come in a different face. That's why a person should never trust himself until the last day of his life, the last breath of his life, then he know if he's a tzaddik or not. But as long as he's still around, he doesn't have any guarantee that he would be able to stay the same righteous that he is for the rest of his life because the satan is keep coming with different tricks. Today, uh, we will continue with speaking about love, ahava vereut. There's two different words. There's a difference between them. Ahava and reut. And uh, it's... Uh, Rav Shlomo used to say the words of the Magid Mishneh about uh, the arguments between Bet Shammai and Bet Hillel. One yeshiva of Shammai and one yeshiva of Hillel and their students about 2,000 years ago. They speak in Masechet Yevamot, page 13. They, they have diff- many arguments about the halacha. One say aloud, the other one say not aloud. And a different topic, same story, disagreement. One say pure, one say impure, but they still marry their children between them. Even though according to him it's allowed, and according to him it's a very big sin, right? They both use the same Torah to prove their point. Sometimes the difference between allowed and not allowed is very thin, right? So how is it possible that they will be able, the boy came from a house of Hillel, and the girl came from the house of Shammai, and they marry, and they, and they become in-laws, even though they have such big contradictions in the way of halacha, Right? So the answer is, if one dismissed himself for the other, they both became one side in a matter, that's not considered. This is, is when everyone sticks to his opinion. I totally disagree with you. And at the same time, we're still friends. And at the same time, you know, I said to my student, it's not allowed, and you will say to your student that it's allowed, and it doesn't, it doesn't cause me to hate you, or not to like you, or it does not reduce the love that I have for you. Of course, all of that in one condition, that they don't have a heresy here. Like today, you can find someone that calls himself orthodox, and is a heretic, is an infidel. He spreads uh, kfira, contradict the, the principle of Judaism, going totally against the ashkafa of Judaism, or Shulchan Aruch. Uh, it's a different story. But we're talking now, two poskim, one posek is allowed, one posek is not allowed. Sometimes you have like Sfaradi and Ashkenazi. One will eat rice on Pesach, the other one doesn't eat rice on Pesach. What it does, does that mean that they cannot get married together? Because one will eat and one will not? Of course not. 
So there are many differences like these that sometimes may create an obstacle between one side to another. The whole chidush here, the whole news here is that something like this will not hurt the relationship. We should add the words of Rashi in Masechet Ketubot, page 8. Rashi is explaining the difference between the sixth blessing of the chupa when we get married to the seventh one. Right? It's the sixth one, we, we conclude the bracha, Mesameh Chatan Vekala. Make Chatan and Kala happy. The seventh one is Mesameh Chatan Imakala. Is making the Chatan, the groom, happy with the bride. Why the change? Why there's a difference between the text? It sounds in uh, when you hear it, it sounds like the same, but no, there's a difference. There's, there's a reason why it's it's written in a different way. Why? Because the connection between the groom and the bride, the man and the woman, right, is the sixth bracha that we say in Chupa. We are busy now with the happiness of the Chatan and Kala, which is a mutual happiness of both of them. They're finally getting married, they're very happy. So that's why we want every one of them to have exactly what they need, right? That's why we say this bracha before we say Mesameh Chatan Im Hakala. The seventh bracha is different. What is the difference? That Hashem makes the man happy with the woman, meaning by giving him a woman. By giving him the woman, that's how he makes him happy. The, the sixth bracha is that both of them got what they need, what they want, we make, we give them all the blessing. They should have everything they want because then we know how, that's how they're gonna reach their happiness. So we are, we understand this foundation as an introduction to the connection between a man to a woman in a time of marriage when they stand under the chupa. We have to first make sure that each one of them will get will fulfill what they need personally. Because if a woman will not have things that she needs for every day's life, or a man won't have it, they can't really reach this level of Mesameh Chatani Makala. We can't go to the next seven bracha. First, we have to make sure we give them everything they need. Right? So, and, and again, we don't we don't expect any one of them to cancel his personality for the other. No or to, to cancel his opinions for the other, or always to agree with the other. No, that's not the point here. The point is that they can stick to their own opinion and to their own things that they like, and they can still be different, and at the same time they can be very much connected and very much in love. Um, like I said, it means that he's making both of them happy with what they need. Parnasa. Wealth, uh, health, children, house, everything they need. Mesameh chatan imakala means that the happiness of the chatan is that Hashem actually gave him the woman, as it's written in the Torah, Loto veyota adam levado. It's not good for men to be alone. I will give him a gift. Who is the gift? The gift is. The gift is. I will give him a woman that will be his partner to everything they do together in life. 
דגמרא אין מסכת קידושין, פייג' פרדי, דגמרא עשה, אשרי הגבר אשר מלא אשפתו מהם לא יבושו כי ידברו את אויביהם בשער. דגמרא עשה, מה יהיה את אויביהם בשער? What does it mean enemies in the gate? רבי חייא ורבא עשה, even a father and his son, or rabbi and his student, that learn Torah, In one place, supposedly, allegedly, not for real, allegedly, they like two enemies who fight with each other, argue with each other. They don't move from there until they finish to learn and they are lovers just like before. Right? What does it mean? The Gaon Mivilna, in his explanation, this is what he says. We found by a rabbi and a student argument and war to, to reach the truth of the Torah. Real war zone. Everybody argue and bring proofs and he brings a different proof. Where do we find a war between a man and his wife? Where do we find an argument that it's like a war? Everybody try to prove, prove his side. The Gaon Mivilna say, naturally, They are such opposite one to the other. There's such an opposite nature between a man to a woman that that's a natural world. I don't have to say a word. Automatically what he likes and what she likes and the way they look and things that they love, it's totally different. Just because they are too opposite from each other, that's what actually creates a perfect love. So we learn from the Gaon Mivilna that contradictions, different nature, different shape, different pre- preferences, that's not an obstacle for love. It's not an obstacle for love. I heard in the name of Rav Chaim Shmulevitz, Rosh Yeshivat Mir, the head of the, perhaps the biggest yeshiva in the world, Yeshivat Mir, And I think they have about 8,000 students now in Yerushalayim. And uh, it says in his explanation to the Gemara about this verse, the world thinks that the Gemara said that even though they fight with each other, once they learn Torah, the Torah has a special spiritual blessing that in the end they'll make peace. Because learning Torah kills the Yetzirah, the evil inclination. Rav Chaim said that's not what it means over here. It's true that the Torah helps to calm people and lower the anger or whatever the case is. But that's not what it meant. What it means over here that the love is because of the argument to, say, to reach the truth of the Torah. Both of them have the same intention. Of course, we are talking about people that learn Torah for the real sake of heaven, for the truth, for the sake of the truth. Not two proud, arrogant people that each one just want to win the argument. You know, not really, they don't care about the truth. He would say something, convince his friend, knowing he's wrong. Why? As long as I want the argument. We're not talking about people in such low level. We're talking about people that really care about the truth of the Torah. So, Vadai, obviously, we, the Gaon Mivilna did not mean that people have to fight with each other, husband and wife. But it's similar that the same way that you learn Torah and you think differently and you bring different verses and different proofs, obviously no two students think alike 100%. But 
right? But one helps the other by, by creating this argument. In the end, you reach the, law, the, 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 the root of... You reach the root of the understanding of the Torah. So, to complete such a foundation, we have to see what the word of the Nazif. The Nazif, it says, you know, what are we going to say about the, the verse in, uh, in number 28, verse 2? What are we going to say about the sacrifice, Korban Atamid, the everyday sacrifice, they used to sacrifice morning and evening in Bet HaMikdash. What do we say? Et Korbani Lachmi Leishai. Why the sacrifice called Lechem? Lechem means bread. Lechem also means war, Milchama. Why bread called war? Because it's a war to get it. <laughs> Most of the time of a person is to war, to bring Parnasa to his house. Go and fight in my lechem, meaning in my Torah. So the word lechem means bread, means war, and means Torah. Three different meanings. Also, there is a fourth meaning. It's called alchama. What's alchama? Welding. Welding between two things. What does it mean to weld between two things? Right? Is if you take two metals and you heat them up and you connect them together and melt them to such a way that when they cool off, they become one piece. And that's what the Torah does. And that's what the husband and wife has. Two pieces of a soul become one. Or, in our case, the soul becomes one with the body. Because, you know, that's what keeps the soul inside the body. If you don't eat bread, the person will die. If he will die, the soul comes out. Okay, so we, we're finding a few very interesting things here. Two people learn Torah and makes connection. It's like welding them together. Two people, two people, uh, you know, uh, they, they eat now. The food keeps their body alive. That means it's like welding the soul into the body. People going together to war, two friends fighting to save their, their, their country. In a war, it's also create like welding, you know, the best friends are soldiers that serve together for life. They'll never forget each other because they've been in such situation of life risk, one helping the other, one covering for the other, it creates a very special connection. Two people eating together, lechem, sitting and eating together creates a welding. Between them. That's why it says that Tamit Chacham should not sit with ignorant people because it's not good for him to be connected to people in such low levels spiritually. Physically, it's no problem to help them, to teach them. But to sit and eat creates a special connection. That's why even when a man and a woman, if they sit and eat together, at least once a day in the evening, it creates a very good connection. They eat, they share food, they share drinks, whatever they do. That create all these things that goes around the world, lechem, lamet, chet, mem, it's a matter of malchim. Malchim, lechem means lalchim. Lalchim means to, to, to take two and make them into one. I met some extreme cases of husband that actually had a mental disease. Today, unfortunately, it's very common. I see it every day that some, many people have mental diseases. 
סכיזופרניה, מניק דפרשן, all kinds of attacks, massive anxiety attacks, all kinds of things like that. It comes from the nefesh, from the spirit, not from the body. It's not a physical sickness. Not that they are wicked, they're just sick. And their wives, since nobody ever taught them about marriage correctly, they just push them into the relationship and they're stuck now 15, 20 years suffering with a mentally sick man. They never responded and they never shared it with anyone and they never, never looked for help until they came to a situation that they collapsed. That's it, they could not take it anymore. It became a life risk. I asked those women, Rav Hoffman is a psychologist, how did you go through this suffering for 20 years? They always give the same answer. What is it? What does it mean? A kosher woman must follow her husband and do what he wants. That's how they taught us in yeshiva, in seminary. That's how, that's how they teach in seminary, right? That a man, that a woman must follow her husband. She was sure that, uh, that uh, 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 to be kosher woman, she has to cancel herself, surrender to what the things he does. If she only went to consult with a good rabbi, <laughs> she would find out that she was supposed to get out of this relationship 20 years ago, 19 years ago, yes? Peace in a family can only be reached when the two people, the man and the woman, work on their character, personality, and traits. If they neglect it, they ignore it, they don't try to fix it, nothing will help the relationship. Because there's always going to be anger and jealousy and ego and laziness and selfishness and all kinds of things. People will take their anger on each other because they never work and actually work on their own character. Rav Shlomo said, actually, all the problems in a marriage, it's a matter of yachase enosh, personal relationship, meaning traits, personality issues. In every relationship between men in the world, or men to a woman, it's different. Why? Because between men to men, you don't want him, you break the partnership, no problem. I don't want to be your friend, goodbye. Men and a woman, they are obligated to always make peace. They have no option. The only option is to get divorced. <laughs> Normal people will try to do everything they can before they go into that option, because by then it's the end of the story. And as long as they're together, they, it's very hard to live in the same room and be in a fight. So they always must, always must make peace. If they have differences, arguments, disagreements, fights, they must talk. No, nobody will do the job for them. And they have to make peace. The Malbim, the Malbim, he lived 150 years ago on his commentary on the Torah, Deuteronomy 24, verse 1. On the verse, The Torah says, what happens if the man doesn't like the woman anymore? They live together X amount of time. And now he cannot be with her. That's it. He doesn't, he's not interested to stay with her. The Torah says, He's able to divorce her. 
The Malbim writes, Hashem wanted the men of the nation of Israel to live peacefully with their wives by choice, not by force. It's not a Catholic marriage. Once you get married, you're stuck for life. No, no, no. The Torah says one of the 613 commandments is to get divorced when it's necessary. You try to make peace, you try to compromise, it did not work after many attempts. Okay, now there is mitzvah to get divorced and you have to do it properly. Today almost nobody gets divorced properly. They don't stay friends, they don't stay good parents to the kids, they turn the kids against each other. Massive Lashonara, police, investigators, secular court, Goish court, orders of protection, mass murder on social media. So the divorce is the least of their problem. What comes after that makes them lose their share to the world to come guaranteed. That's much worse than the actual divorce. It's very sad that you have to get divorced. Obviously, something did not work out. But it's not the end of the world. After the darkness can come the light. But if you turn that divorce to a World War III to, to bury the other person or to do all kinds of things to satisfy your revenge and your ego and your anger and all that those things, then Hashem will punish you severely. So remember, there is no obligation to stay together. It's a very nice thing to live in peace and to live forever, <laughs> forever and be happy. But if things did not work out, something extremely went wrong, now the Torah gave the option of getting out. The Malbim explained, if the Torah did not give the man the option to divorce his wife, when you force a person to be in a place that he cannot get out of there, it becomes a punishment for him. give you an example. Now we are in quarantine. Everyone is upset and bitter about it. Why? Government force you to be a prisoner in your own bedroom, in your own house. can go here, cannot go there, everything is closed. It's frustrating. It's humiliating. Even though in the brain, in a, in a, in a logic, you understand that they, they do it, hopefully, we hope, that they do it for good purpose, to save life. Many experts say that this quarantine saved the life of millions in the world, because the whole world went into quarantine. If yes or not, only Hashem knows to what extent. But the idea is that people are trying to save life for cost of trillions of dollars damages. Why? Baruch Hashem, humanity still understands that life comes before money. We still have it. I'm surprised. Don't take it for granted because a lot of people would rather kill themselves for money or die not to lose their money. But in reality, when you're a governor or a president, you still have this sense of responsibility to humanity. You don't want to be memorized that in your time, millions of people die because of you being reckless and negligence, right? So, okay. So I'll give an example. If a person walk, 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 kill himself day and night, and then he say, you know what, I want to take a week off. I want to lock myself in my house. I don't want to go anywhere. No shuls, no yeshiva, no business, no family, no friends. Just give me, a, shut the phone, give me a week of rest. want to sleep, want to daven alone, want to eat by myself, read a little bit. I don't want headache. I need it. Otherwise, I collapse mentally. When he's home, he's so happy to be locked in a room. 
to be isolated from the world. Why? Because it's by choice. If you take him by force and throw him in a room and lock him, that's what we call jail. Even if you give him a great condition in a jail, some prisoners have great condition, they're snitch, so the authorities give them all kinds of benefits, they still suffer. Why? Because I did not choose to be here, it was forced on me. If you tell a man, the minute you put a ring on her finger, he can never ever break up with her. You must be with her until the day you die. What happened? From that second on, he begins to suffer from the relationship. Why? Because he understands, I am forced now to be here. Even though he's enjoying for the time being, everything is beautiful. Mentally, it was forced on me that I can never go out if I want. So the Malbim say, we learn a, a big lesson in psychology here. When you lack people, when you force things on people, it's very difficult for them to cooperate and enjoy. When you give them freedom, you talk to them, you recommend to them, you teach them, you show them what will be the consequences of their choices for good or for bad, but you don't actually force it on them by force. And they, they are the one who made the choice. They feel a lot better with that. A lot better. That's why some, when you make someone religious, a lot of them say, I'm not ready yet. I want it to come from my heart. I understand that I must do it, and I understand I'm a big sinner for the time being. But if I do it, I want to do it from my heart. Why? Because if I do it by force, a month later I'll stop. There's logic in it. The problem is that if you're murdering people every day and you say to the judge, I want to be ready to stop killing people. I'm not ready for it yet. I still need it to relax my anger. I won't help you so much, you know. Okay, we'll wait for you until you'll be ready. When is it going to be? Next year? In 10 years maybe? Until you kill a thousand extra people? Same thing in the Torah. Some things don't, cannot tolerate any delay, such as breaking Shabbat or killing people or, or doing all kinds of things. That It's critical. You don't even know if you live tomorrow. If you die tomorrow, you're finished. So... The Malbim gives a beautiful explanation about it. The fact that I have this option to get out at any time I want, I'm happy. Same thing, that's the reason why a lot of people don't want to get CDs in a bank. Even though they're going to give them a lot more interest than the saving account. But they have to lock their money for a year, two, three. The fact that I cannot touch my own money, if I would ever need it, scares most of the people. That's the reason why the bank giving more interest because they want to make sure that they have the money. They don't pay any. They don't give you any free gifts. So the idea is that the longer you have to lock your money in, the more scared you are. What would happen if I need it? That's the the fact that you are obligated to go against your own will at one point scares people very much. Rav Shlomo said that the preparation of Rav Isaac share. The way he was preparing the, the way of Isaac Sher was preparing the student to the time of their marriage is to work with them strongly on their character, on their traits. This was the main preparation. He said that's the most important thing before you get into marriage. Work on your ego, work on your pride, work on your laziness. Improve yourself. Soon you'll be married. It will be a lot difficult later on because it may be too late. 
when your husband will find out what kind of a woman you are, or when your man will find when your woman will find out what kind of a man you are, it may be too late already. It will ruin the the reputation and the relationship. So midot tovot, good traits, is the most important thing in the life of a person. Then the Gemara in in Masechet Yevamot, page sixty-three. The Gemara says, Rabbi found Eliyahu Anavi, Elijah the prophet. Amar le, It's written in the Torah. It said, it said to him, it's written in the Torah. I will make a man a companion, an assistant. What is exactly the help of a woman to the man? Amar le, he answered to him, a man brings the wheat from the from the field. Can he eat wheat? So I break his teeth. He can't wheat it. He brings linen. Can he wear linen from the field? No. So, isn't it that she's going to do everything for him? She's going to grind the wheat. She's going to make flour. She's going to make challah. She's going to make bread. She's going to take the, the, the linen. She's going to sew something with that. Kneading, sewing, whatever. She creates for him some nice shirt or suit or whatever the case is. The Gemara is a little bit strange here. Why it's strange? Because uh, the conversation between Rabbi Yossi and Eliyahu Navi, it's something so obvious. You need Eliyahu Navi to tell you such thing. Every little kid, teenager knows this. Why? What a woman does for us? What do you mean, dead? She shop, she chop, she clean, she cuts, she cooks, she grinds, she bakes. Everybody knows it. What do you need Eliyahu Navi for? For this? That's what you would ask Eliyahu Navi if you finally saw him once in your life. What do you think? It's an everyday thing? You have an opportunity that you saw Eliyahu Navi. That's what you have to ask him? It's a little bit strange. It's also even more strange, stranger, what Eliyahu Navi answered him. Can he eat the wheat? Can he eat the linen? Can he wear the linen? That's what a man needs from his wife, to be a, a tailor for him, to be a cook for him. That's the purpose of marriage. Also doesn't add up. This is the explanation. It says, what exactly is the help of a woman to her man? It's written in a Gemara Masechet Yevamoch, page 62. Scary things. What happened to a person that is living without a woman? We're talking by choice, not someone who wants and Hashem, for whatever reason, did not decide yet to give him. He's living without a wall, meaning defense, without happiness, without Torah. Even the Torah he learned is not complete because he doesn't have a peace of mind. Meaning the woman helped the man a lot just by being next to him, without doing anything. Just the fact that he knows he has a woman already helping mentally in many, many different aspects. She brings him to, a, to, to be a complete person. She elevates his spiritual level. When this Tana, this holy Tana met Eliyahu Navi, he wanted to ask him how technically it's been done. Of course I know what's, what happened, but technically, meaning how do you reach this level that she becomes the help they help, you know, to bring a person to the highest level, to the highest level. So Eliyahu Navi answered to her, 
He said, you think we are talking about bombastic things? Uh, extraordinary things, you know, extraordinary uh, things? No, it's all she has to do to reach him to the highest level spiritually and to become complete is to do those simple things that a person needs to have a peace of mind. To make him what to wear, to wash his clothes, to make him food to eat, to take care of his children, to save him from the sins. That's it. We don't ask for her to be a doctor and a professor and an engineer for him and a computer specialist. Nothing. That's what the feminists forgot already. Nah, it's not enough. We don't want to be an assistant. Whatever God wants, it's not. we don't care. We know better. We're going to redesign the woman, make her a pilot, a commander of a tank, make her a commando soldiers. We're going to do all these things, right? We're going to do all these things. So, you know, so Rav Shlomo, Rav Shlomo is actually learning from this Gemara. It says, Meira enav. She enlightened his eyes. The Gaon Mivina explained, Maor ala pasuk, Maor enayim yesamach lev. When your eyes are enlightened, it makes the heart happy. What does it mean to enlighten the eyes? It's a very high level of learning Torah. And it says like this, this is what it means to be Ezer Kenegdo, that she's busy to maintain the house, she brings him to the highest level of spirituality by enlightening his eyes with the Torah and everything else he does. Rav Shlomo explained now what the Gemara speaks about Zivug Rishon, Zivug Sheni. First soulmate and second soulmate. Uh, it's, there is a verse in Malachi 2, verse 14. Your girlfriend and the, wa- uh, the woman of your covenant. What does it mean? In the Gemara it explains that a woman is a raw material. She will be connected to the one who actually made her a tool. Let me explain this analogy. Uh, if you have a diamond, raw, raw, raw diamond, there is a cutter. He's going to design the diamond in one way or the other. It makes it round, it makes it pear shape. Whatever shape you would like to do it. The diamond will be after the designer who made it. He made it this way or he made it that way. When a man connected to a woman for the first time, she was never connected with a man, physically and spiritually, of course. He, she connected to her first one since he's the one who actually made her a vessel. Meaning, until now she was a raw material, and now she actually was already used for the first time. I hope I'm using the right words in English. It's a little bit difficult to find the right words. So, it's written that God is actually like the husband, and the nation of Israel is the, is the bride. So, the same thing between a man and a woman. Our woman is connected to her first one, and it's a very deep connection. You know, also... Even if later on they have problems, the connection will be stronger than if it's somebody else, meaning it's not her first man. I know today, with the way the world became, that most of the women, when they actually go and get married, are already not virgins. Unfortunately, this is the way the world became. 
people are, uh, you know, uh, rebel against all the rules of God and the rules of the Torah. And uh, sometimes uh, I'm not sure what we behave like, like people or like animals, but this is the reality of the world. And therefore, it only contributes more to the divorce rate, as you can see what's happening, because there's a lot of... Uh, a lot of problems and this is one of the roots of those problems because people already did all kinds of sins before and later on when they get married this is what you get according to this it's not only a matter if she was a virgin or not it's a matter of if she you know this was a first evoke for the first time she was with someone or or not meaning Meaning, we have to understand, it's a little bit deeper here. It's called, the, the Chazal used the word Shasa'akli. It's like designing a, a special vessel. Like, you know, if she was not a virgin, it doesn't have the same spiritual level of first attachment to, the, to your first soulmate. And uh, we're continuing over here. It's written, Rav Shlomo said that based on a research that he was participating in, they brought people that were married four times and more. They actually collected this kind of people, and they checked and they found that many of them got divorced, actually got married to the same type of woman, second time, third time, fourth time, they have the same type. And they got divorced for the same reasons. The conclusion of this research is that things in the subconscious of a human being caused it, cause him to be attracted to the same type of people, even though he suffers from that type. Meaning he still chooses the same type of woman, even though he will suffer from her. For instance, a man that only cares about her body and her look. That's the most important thing in his life. First time he married a woman just for her beauty and showing up in the street. Then that caused him a lot of problems. Jealousy, other men, she talks to other men, people making comments. Eventually, this relationship broke up. Second time, same thing, looking for another movie star. Same exact story, third time, fourth. Look at the Hollywood star. Same story keeps repeating in marriage one, marriage two, marriage ten, marriage fifty. Same thing will always repeat. You already know how it's going to end. Sometimes you even know how fast it will end. Why? Because the same pattern keeps repeating. So the question is, why would a person keep doing the same thing? Why would they do the same thing? Psychologically, psychologically, Rav Shlomo explained, there are differences that happen in the life of a human being that actually affect his choosing, affect him choosing his, his soulmate. For instance, when a baby until age three or four, is very influenced from the environment. Like the Rambam writes in Shmona Prakim in chapter four. When he grows up and becomes an adult, is looking for an image that is very similar to people that he had sympathy to when he was a kid. When you were a kid, you had a... In kindergarten, a woman that was in charge, or your mother, the way she treated you, or anybody, or an aunt that was very nice to you and lived by you, or something like that, 
he gave you a great feeling when you were between zero to four years old. So later, that's going to affect your entire choices in life. Every time when you connect, interact with women, this is what attracts you and this is what you like. This, you're looking from your subconscious to the same pleasure you had when you were a kid. In a Gemara, it's written in Masechet Sota, uh, page 47, it's written, Amar Rabbi Yochanan, there are three kinds of beauties. The beauty of a place to the people that live there, the beauty of a woman to her husband, and the beauty of the merchandise to the buyer. Rashi explained the beauty of the place to those who live there, even if the place is nothing special. It's not even an extraordinary home, or very average. But in their eyes, it's great, or it's much better than what they used to have. They're very happy with their home. They're happy, they enjoy to come home. Beauty of a woman to her husband, even if she's not pretty. You ask 100 people, 90 would say that she's not pretty. But for him, she's pretty. He likes the way she looks. That's his, uh, that's his taste. It doesn't matter if other people disagree. He loves and enjoys to look at her. Chidusha Arim explained that the reason for, it is, for, for that is because a woman, she's devoted to him and she makes him happy and because of that, he's in love with her. That's one of the reasons. And Rashi writes, the beauty of a woman always to her husband. What does it mean always? This word looks like an extra word. It means that she's so devoted to him and such a good Ashitchail, right, that she always finds favor in his eyes again and again and again every day because every day she keeps performing. And that makes him more and more appreciative and loving her and, and, and cannot believe that he's so lucky to have such a woman that will do everything for him, support him in good, support him in bad and all these things. You know, so when a woman comes in lack of modesty, she's not modest, that means she's not devoted to her husband anymore. Even if he will deny it, or sometimes will ask her to dress not modest, there are fools out there that they do that, and force their wife to be less modest. You know, I don't know why, why, why in the world a man would want stranger to look at his wife and think all kinds of things about her, but this is the world we live in. So when a woman is already not modest, and she do everything to, she can to be provocative when she goes in front of other men, this is a form of cheating. It's not physical cheating. It's not actual cheating, we know, but in, it's a mental cheating. Meaning she's not devoted anymore only to him. She's also devoted to strangers at work and street, whenever she goes. And she's trying to even get attention from other people. Obviously, she splits her attention between him and other people. That's not loyalty, obviously. Especially with the way the Torah describes relationship. And that's what made him like her less. I just had a case like this. No matter how much we try to convince the man to go back home, me and his friend, nothing helped. I made up my mind convince her to take the get. He refuses. Refuse. Why? 
she behaved certain way for many, many years. One day she changed her behaving. She's starting to put all kinds of different clothes. You know, he started to realize that she is trying to be attractive to somebody else. Although he never proven more than that, meaning doesn't have a solid proof against her that she actually did anything, there was enough from him that he could not be with her anymore. A few times he told her, she continued, he left the house, and the marriage was over. Why is it? Exactly what we've been talking here about. Whatever merchandise, the beauty of the merchandise to the buyer of this merchandise. The Gemara in Baba Metziah, page 51, the Gemara say, what about deceiving? When, when, a, when a seller deceives the buyer, you come to buy an object, and you come to buy it, uh, you come to buy it, you come to, you, what's the story? Why everybody keeps calling me? What, what happened to the, oh, it's not working. Okay, so, doesn't understand, they don't hear, I guess. Okay, so, psychologically, okay, so the merchandise, when a, when a seller sell, when a seller sell, a, a seller sell a merchandise to the customer, right? So, he buys, he, he buy, that can be deceiving because he maybe sell more than 16% from the market of the value. However, if you buy it from an individual person, not a seller in a store, not a business, if two friends sell one to each other, there's no shtut, meaning no 16% law that if you go over the price. Rashi say, because when you buy jewelry or other things from an individual, it's something personal. Once it's personal, he has the right to ask for any price because in his eyes is his whole world. He loves it very much. But if it's an owner of a store, it's not connected to the merchandise. Merchandise come in, merchandise go out there on a daily basis. So if you buy a watch in a store, in a store, the owner of the store doesn't care about this watch. He has hundreds of them. But if you buy it from an individual who's been wearing it for a few years and say, I want to buy your own watch, how much you want? It may be worth $100, he's going to ask you for $500. Wow, it's too much. That's my price. I love this watch. For me, it's worth at least $500. You want me to get rid of it? Give me at least this amount of money. He cannot come later and say, oh, I want my money back. He deceived me. But if we'll be in a business, then he can still do it. We see Rabotai that even merchandise, it's the pen. It's sometimes, uh, it's a... Uh, like for instance, if your grandfather was a Degaon Mivina, some big Chacham, and you have his ripped shoes, what's ripped shoes worth? Nothing. There's no value. But it was once belonged to this giant grand-grandfather of mine, Degaon Mivina. If somebody will ask you for these shoes, it's sentimental. You're not going to sell it for $2. That's the original value of, of ripped shoes, how much it's worth from, from 200 years ago. Because it has a, a spiritual value, it's sentimental, it was belonged to a holy man, you can ask for a million dollars for it. A person cannot come later on and say, why, well, he sold me ripped shoes for, for, for a million dollars. It's not worth five dollars, he sold it to me for a million dollars. But you fool, 
Who is going to pay a million dollars for ripped shoes? You only pay for these shoes because it belongs to an important person. It's very similar to the nonsense today goes with the with the athletes and this, that they they take shoes and they sign on them. The value of the shoes is $100, but once they sign on it, it became $10,000 right away. Why? Because now it's his personal shoes with his signature and his soul. And if it's used, and if it was used in the final game, why, well, it can be 50000 <laughs> One kid told me that the defender of the teeth that they use in a game, one of them threw it. He got angry. He threw it, and one of the fans picked it up and sold it. I don't remember, I think $15,000. Because it was from the mouth of some big stars in the NBA. This is the world the world we live in. At least when it was belonged to holy people, people admire the holiness and righteous people. No, no, it's something logical. But when people admire athletes or people that know how to run, you know, it's unbelievable how the values of society are changed completely from one side to the other. So let's. Uh, move into the next uh, next subject the Gemara in Masechet Psachim page uh, 109 the Gemara say Tanu Rabanan Chayav Adam Lesameach Banav Uvne Beto Baregel a person must must make his children meaning his kids and uh, his entire family in the holidays how is he going to make them happy? The Gemara asks. Rabbi Yehuda say, men with what they like, women with what they like. And what women like, if they live in Babylon, back in time was like Israel America, right? So we have now Israel America, back in time was Israel Babylon. If he lives, if, there, if it's women from Babylon with colorful clothing if it's in Eretz Israel linen ironed clothing meaning special linen clothing and out of Israel the style was colorful clothing in Israel was more solid from linen the, what's special about colorful clothing Rav Shlomo gave a beautiful explanation about it it says that uh, it's there's a verse in Genesis 49 ver, verse 11. Person that did laundry to his clothing with wine. You take your clothes and put it in wine. And with the grape juice, red grape juice, like a, it looks like blood. Suto. What is the meaning of the word suto? It comes from the word hasata. Asata is when you instigate you with someone and you turn him to against his friend or against someone. You turn him to go and do something negative. Rashi writes, when you wear clothes that have all kinds of red, pink, all these colors that looks like wine, and that's called Leshon Suto. What is it? When a woman wear it, she makes the man that cannot take his eyes away from her. Meaning, I want my husband to look at me, so I wear red for him, and I wear pink for him, and I wear all these colors that attract his eyes. 
This is what the women of Babylon back then, they used to like. Rav Shlomo said, this is the obligation of the man to buy to his wife colorful clothing. Even though he may not necessarily agree with the colors that she likes, but obviously it attracts the eyes, right? It makes the woman herself look good in his eyes when she dressed nicely. That's why I always tell women that complain about Shlom Bayin, my husband doesn't pay attention to me, he's on his phone all the time. Sometimes the problem could be a lot easier than what you think. All you have to do is to put yourself to look nice, some makeup, work on your weight, not to gain too much weight, be clean, don't smell bad from all the cooking, and dress nice. When he comes home, you see a pretty presentable woman. Like this every night, like-this-every-night-and-if-that's-the-case-right-that-it-will-actually-help-the-shlom-bite-if-you're-gonna-be-nice-when-you-go-to-the-supermarket-and-look-like-a-shmata-when-he-comes-home-you-know-obviously-that
Many relationships today are getting ruined just because of these reasons. Not that the man doesn't have to take care of his look as much as he can, not to gain too much weight, to be clean, not to smell bad, and, and all these things. It's also important, of course. But by women, it's much more critical, as we see everywhere we go today. So Rav Shlomo now gives an explanation to this Gemara. This Gemara needs a deep explanation. Sometimes when you read the Gemara, it looks strange, but after five minutes, you get the point. And the Gemara says like this. The Gemara says, not really means that if she doesn't know how to cook or she burns the food every time she cooks. It's not literal here. It means that if it bothers him that when she cooks, the food doesn't come as it used to be, or she burns the food or whatever the case when they got married, they were so much in love, he didn't care that the food came out bad. Ah, don't worry, honey, no problem, big deal, so we eat the other one, it's good, we'll order it, whatever. If something so minor bothers you right now, that means that's not really the reason. That means you don't love her anymore. There's no more love. The love that you used to have is gone. Because when you're in love with a woman, the last thing you worry about is if, if the food came out good or not. That's not a reason to want a divorce here, unless you're not normal. Or if you came home and there's no hot meal. If that's the reason you want a divorce here, there's different reasons. Because 10 years ago when there was no meal, you never made a beep. No problem, no meal, I'll, make my, I'll eat myself a toast or something. Ah, but today it bothers you so much, that means this is just a cover-up. It's a beautiful explanation. This is a cover-up for the real reason. What's the real reason? That there's no love and no connection. That's why Rabotai, when there's no love and something bothering him, everything she does, it's a, it's a complaint. Why the toys are on the floor? Why the wall is dirty? Why the bathroom is not flush? Why this is that? Why that? What do you care? You never complain about these things. You know how it is. There's 10 kids in the house. It's a little bit difficult to, to control them. It did not bother you five years ago. Why now it bothers you? That's really not bothering him. You think he cares if the toys are on the floor? He himself is a sloppy man. Go to his office, see how his office looks. Check his car, see that the garbage on the floor everywhere. And that's not what bothers him. It's just excuses for, to cover for the real problem. What is the real problem? He doesn't love her anymore. That's really what it is. So that means the connection is, in, is not proper. Because if a person lives properly with his wife, it's never going to bother him if she burns the food or the food did not come out good. Same way that what Rabbi Akiva say. If he loves his wife, he's not going to look at some woman that looks even better than his wife. He's not going to look at her. Why? He's very happy with what he has. People that are in love, they don't look to other things. Their whole mind is with who they're in love with. When there is no love and they suffer from each other, abusing each other, and every other not appropriate relationship that we have today a lot around, that's when every, th- every other woman he sees, she looks better than in his eyes. Why is it? The answer to it is because the problem that he has with her gets him to go to other places and look for replacement because he's not happy with what he has. Okay, so uh, we almost uh, we almost finished.
And Bezrat uh, Hashem, we're going to have one more lecture and we'll finish this series. That's it. It's not even going to be 10. Probably we're going to finish it next one. Uh, one last thing for today and we're all done, Bezrat Hashem. I asked Rav Shlomo about the Mishnah in Masechet Ketubot, page uh, 72. Someone who makes Kiddushin with a woman. Get married to her. Al-menat she'en alea nedarim. He's making the Kiddushin. Al-menat she'en alea nedarim. Meaning, if she made vows before, if this woman made vows before she got married to him, and what happened? She's not. It's the kiddushin did not take place. The Gemara begin to explain. This is things that is a torture to the to the to the spirit to the to the person. For instance, she made a vow that she won't eat meat, vegetarian, and she won't drink wine, and she's not gonna wear fancy clothes. This kiddushin is false business, meaning. He was misled. That's not what I wanted. I wanted a normal woman. Not a woman that doesn't eat anything. Not a woman that doesn't wear nice things. She wants to be a gypsy. She wants to be a monk. She wants, She has all these crazy things in her mind. She's not going to drink wine. She don't eat this. And she doesn't eat uh, wheat. And she, You have people like this. She's too much into this health and... And uh, being isolated from the world, and she doesn't want to be, you know, what the Torah expects a woman to be. The Gemara say this is torture for the man to live with a woman like this. And if she made those kind of vows, that it, the marriage never took place. He said to her goodbye, we're not married. What do you mean? You put a finger on my ring a week ago, two weeks ago. Well, I want. I, I, you have to give me a get. I, no, the marriage never took place. Why? The marriage only takes place when you don't lie to the husband and you give him. He knows what he's getting. He, he had no idea to know about these things. At a day or two after he gets married, he finds out that his wife is not a regular woman. She has a lot of strange things about her, and he's not happy from it. He comes to the bed and he says, "Who would dream such things? She doesn't eat this. She doesn't drink that. She doesn't touch this. She doesn't." It's crazy. Rashi say, if she doesn't want to eat meat, that's a torture, and then automatically her value goes down in his eyes. By the way, that's the answer to this fool that made in Israel. There's one guy made a video trying to convince the world that he's not allowed to eat meat in our days. He's trying to convince people that the only permission to eat meat was in Bet HaMikdash, Kodashim. If it was holy, sacrifices, pieces from it, you eat. Totally misleading the people, totally ignorant, has no idea what he's talking about. There's hundreds of places that Shulchan Aruch speaking that in Yom Tov Mitzvah to eat meat, and all the laws of slaughtering. Shulchan Aruch was written 500 years ago. If we're only allowed to eat in Bet HaMikdash, what do you even bother in Shulchan Aruch to write how to eat? You're right, not allowed to eat meat under any circumstances. Goodbye. Who cares about slaughtering like this? There's chapters and chapters about the knife and about the, the lonk and about the, the, the inside of them. What all this for? What is this? And right here is another example. Rashi. If she doesn't agree to eat meat, meaning she's vegetarian, that's a torture. 
Not like today, oh, I'm vegetarian. Why are you vegetarian? I don't want to torture the animals. Meaning, I am more righteous than God himself. God say, use a smooth knife. Make sure you don't slaughter the mother and her baby in the same day. There are rules. Make sure the knife is smooth and do it fast that the animals don't suffer. Cut in one shot. And all kinds of things like that. So the Torah says how to eliminate as much as suffering to the animals, but mitzvah to eat meat, Yom Tov, Shabbat, and holidays, all this. And comes this Mr. or Mrs., they decided that they know better than God. I don't want to eat meat. Why? Because they're killing animals. But the Torah says that it's allowed if you do it in this way. So you know better than the creator of the world what's good for the animal, what's good for the world. That's called in Hebrew, in sarcasm, yefei nefesh. People with beautiful soul, meaning they think they're better than God. This is not my words, this is the words of the giant, legendary, holy Rav, Rav Victor Miller, the biggest rabbi that lived in America ever, with the, with the greatest, superb, accurate ashkafa. You can't find anybody with more accurate ashkafa than him. I never found and I read hundreds of different Gdole Olam. When it comes to Ashkafa, he was on the dot in every topic, every topic. It's Mamash a gift to the world. Rav Victor Miller's, all his books, each one of them is a treasure, treasure. So he is the one who said that. What do you think? You know better than the creator of the world what is allowed, what's not allowed, what's good for the animals, what's not good for the animals. Today everybody thinks it's a new God. This is a fashion today. And Rashi say, I'll say it in Hebrew for those who doubting, Rashi Omer, That's torturing the nefesh, torturing the person. And because of that, he can look at her. She's, she's disgusting. The Rambam, in laws of intimacy, Chapter 25, first version, first halacha, provision. So it says, what vows they're talking about that a woman has from before the marriage that she made that dismissed the Kiddushin, dismissed the marriage? Shelot ochal basar, o shelot ishteyayin, o shelot itkashet b'minei tzivonim. That she won't eat meat, she won't drink wine, and she would not dress fancy, colorful clothes. And the same thing, to other things, that that's aesthetic to the women of the country, meaning what we call cosmetic and beauty today. I give you an example, how does it apply to today's world? If a woman say to her husband, I don't want to shave the legs from my legs. She has legs like men, full of air. Discusses him. It ruins the intimacy. It ruins the attraction. What is this? I made a nether. I want it natural. I don't cut my nails. I don't uh, poke my, fix my eyebrows. I don't do this. I don't do that. I don't take a shot. How can he live with her? Is this marriage? So, there are, believe it or not, there are people like this. A woman get older, her hair become white. Her husband tell her, I want you to dye your hair. Why, why, why? You already look 20 years older than your age. Take care of your look. 
No, I want to be natural. If the husband says, I like it like this, leave it like this, no problem. But if the husband says, it bothers me, you know, the way I met you and the way now you didn't take care of yourself, it bothers him, she has to do everything she can to make him happy. This is what we're talking about. To do everything or to sacrifice to make the relationship work. I asked Rav Shlomo why Chazal were so strict, our sages, if a woman will not eat meat or will not drink wine or she will not dress nice fancy clothes. Do we learn from the words of the Gemara that if a woman decide one day to change their clothing style, is she rebelling against her husband? It's a very good question. He asked Rav Shlomo. Rav Shlomo brought the words of the Rambam in Shmona Prakim. The Rambam speaks over there about the fools and the people that think that they are extra holy, extra righteous. They fast. They go to the desert. They don't eat meat. They don't drink wine. Those fools that think that by torturing their body, they bought themselves a great spiritual level. This is that, that, that by doing this, a human being come closer to Hashem. Those are the fools that think that Hashem hates the body and wants to destroy it. This is, by the way, a, a massive attack against Kabbalah, against the Kabbalists today. The Kabbalists, they are very much into this torture, body torture, rolling in the snow, rolling in the ice, uh, uh, you know, torturing themselves with all kinds of fasts. Is, that is the Rambam, the top authority in Halacha. When you ask the Kabbalists, how do you do against the Rambam? Their answer would be, the Rambam did not see the Zohar. He did not have it. Well, it wasn't like today, you go to a library and you have all the books. It was all handmade, every the books. The Rambam never saw the Zohar. If you would see the Zohar, you would know about things in Kabbalah that are different than the way it's said. I personally, personally disagree with this claim because if Hashem wanted people to torture themselves, He would write in the Torah that it's a very good thing. But the Torah said that one day a year, torture yourself, which is Yom Kippur. If the Torah thought that it's such a good thing and it makes a person close to Hashem to torture his body, the Torah would say that the more you torture yourself, the more you will be close to me. There's no argument that when a person is not materialistic, he's not addicted to materialism, he's not eating non-stop all day when the Yetzirah obviously comes into the body, when the more you eat, the more Yetzirah you have in you, obviously cannot deny it. And people are attracted to all kinds of other things such as sport and swimming and, uh, and all these things that people like so much. Obviously, the more they are into material, the less they are closer to Hashem. Obviously, there's no argument about this. No need to be a genius to know this. We see it all the time. However, to think that it's mitzvah to torture yourself, not to get married, not to have intimacy, not to eat wine, not to drink wine, not to eat meat, not to eat chicken, not to, you know, I live only with this, I only eat that, I only wear one clothes for the rest of my life. The Rambam said this is a sinner. That's not someone that is actually getting closer to Hashem. I remember many years ago, they took me to a city in Israel, maybe 15 years ago. They told me, 
you must see what a big tzaddik there is in this city. I gave a lecture over there. Come, we'll take you to this tzaddik. So there was some kind of Sheva uh, Brachot or Melava Malka. I don't remember what. It was in a, an apartment, small apartment with lots of people, very crowded. I went there. I saw a man that probably did not take a shower at least for a year, maybe five years. I don't know. I looked at his feet. He had no shoes. His feet were swollen like this because all day he walked barefoot. His clothes were all ripped. And the smell that came out of him, I almost vomit. And his hair looked like some kind of, uh, like a homeless. Like you see these homelesses like in Manhattan that don't have a shower and they live on the street. I, Baruch Hashem, Hashem gave me common sense. Even though I don't know the subject always, but common sense, Baruch Hashem, immediately I have. Immediately my logic, the red light went on. Something is not right here. Is this what Hashem wants? To dress like this? To walk without shoes in the street? To look like a homeless? What are you trying to torture yourself? I went to my rabbi, a big giant chacham and a big kabbalist. I told him, listen, they took me to this place. They claim this guy is a holy man, tzaddik, but this is the way he looked. He told me, I'm very sorry. That's not the way of the Torah. That's all totally off the truth of the Torah. That's not what Hashem wants from a Jew, to look like that and to dress like this or to do things like this. That's not the way of the Torah, Rabotai. You have shoes, you must wear shoes. You have money for shoes. You don't have money. In the old days, people were poor. They didn't have money for shoes. But you have money for shoes. You have a lot of students. Believe me, shoes you can afford today. What happened? People do strange things. Some people are impressed by that. Wow, you saw? He doesn't eat. He doesn't do this. He rolls on the ice. He takes off his clothes. He goes on the snow. A lot of these things came to Judaism from Christianity, from all kinds of Buddhist monks. For six months they don't talk. They have, in India they, have, they hold their hands up in the air. One person put his mother in a basket on his shoulder. Ten years he walks everywhere he goes with his mother sit on his shoulder. I always wonder what does he do when he needs to take a shower to go to the bathroom? Where does he put his mother? This Indian guy. But there's a lot of crazy things that people make up. Our job, as people who follow the Torah, is do we have a source for it in the Torah or is it a made-up thing? If it's a made-up thing, the faster you get rid of this nonsense, the better it is. And Mamash will finish here. Rav Shlomo conclude and he say, if a woman, it says like this, if a woman does not eat meat or wine, she doesn't drink wine, because of personal torturing. She likes to torture herself. That's some kind of masochism. She's a masochist. Not because she can eat, she has problems in the stomach or things like that. Or health, for health reasons. Or sugar, that's why she can have wine or grape juice. Okay, that can, that can happen sometimes. But she doesn't eat like for the reason the Rambam described. She thinks that she's special, greater. By not eating meat, or by not eating, or being vegetarian, I'm special. So she thinks by that, she's going to be closer to Hashem. And not wearing nice fancy clothes, and not putting some makeup, or whatever women likes to put, that makes me holier. You know? Rav Shlomo said, a woman like this, that she has this level of masochism in her, 
Obviously, she's the reason why her husband cannot look at her. It caused rejection. So it caused rejection. That's the husband get married. He doesn't want strange woman like this. He wants a regular, average, normal woman. Women put nice clothes and put nice cosmetic if they need it. Some women looks very nice without makeup. <laughs> when they put the makeup, they look worse. Okay, but some women needs the makeup or to do their hair or to fix their hair or to put special perfume that he likes. Oh, you know. And that's a very important thing in relationship, Rabotai. That's what the Gemara says, that she doesn't come with a baggage into the marriage, a negative baggage of all kinds of weird vows that she made prior to the wedding. It means it's not the problem what she stopped eating one thing or she stopped wearing a certain clothes. That's not the main problem. The main problem is the psychological, mental issue that she has. That she thinks that she needs to torture herself to be holy. And by torturing herself, she thinks it's a positive thing. And a person obviously cannot live with a woman like this. You know, and that's a cause of dismissing the wedding retroactively. That's it. There was no wedding. You don't need a get here. Rabotai, you don't need a get. She can go now without a get and get married to someone else. Why? Because the original way of marriage, whatever the chupa was, it was all based on a mistake. We have a definition here that it's the law that the change in the clothing it's not the problem. What the problem is is the masochism. That's really the, the root of the problem. And if a person is a masochist, whether he's a man, whether he's a woman, obviously it's the same thing applied to a man, right? In a case like that, that's a reason to annul the marriage lechatchila, to begin with retroactively. That's elementary things that a normal woman has a necessity. A normal woman needs to be always pretty needs to dress proper, need to be clean, need to fix all kinds of women things, removing hair and stuff like that. And if she prevents herself from these basic necessities that a woman has, right? In that case, it ruins the foundation of the marriage. Rabotai, this is a little bit shocking, I know, to some people. But... uh, but this is the words of the Rambam, not mine. I'm not Gdola uh, Poskim, and not a Posek, and not nothing. This, I'm giving you the sources from the top, top, top authority. Can reach a higher level than Rambam when it comes to Alakha or Ashkafa, all these things. The Rambam is a master of all these things. Baruch Hashem, we have one more lecture to go. We did a lot today. The Yetzir fought a lot about, about this lecture, about the live broadcast. Every time there's a new problem, Baruch Hashem, Satan does his job. What can we do? Anyway, this lecture will be on, on, on YouTube, and people that miss the second half of the lecture will be able to watch it later on. Baruch Adonai Le'olam. Amen ve'amen.